With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, December 15th. We thought we'd do another weekly review preview of the ITF action, the only action going on left in the 2020 professional tennis year, and joining us to break down all of last week's action, preview the few matches we have ahead here this week. Of course, you know him as the guru of the pro tennis travel guide, the Pied Piper of the daily match pick'em. You know him as Tennis in Aloha. I know him as our newest Crack Rackets contributor, Judson Wall. Judson, welcome back to the show. How are you doing, my friend? Aloha, Gruskin. Aloha, Crack Racket listeners. Uh, I'm doing well. It's just yeah, uh, you, another nice day gonna, here on the aisles. That is what I like to hear. You have come to grips with the tone of your own voice. You're ready to record another one of these? <laughs> yeah, I listened to our podcast last week. You, everyone always hates the sound of their own voice, me included. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I I noticed you came out a tone deeper this week. Um, no, I'm just kidding. It is great. All I heard when you came out with that tweet is that you were doing some film study, and that's exactly what I like to see from our Cracked Rackets crew. But, of course, again, it is another week in paradise for all of us, for you, tennis in Aloha, being in Hawaii. I know it was a birthday week in the Wall household. You enjoyed yourself this weekend? Um, yeah, it was a, it was a nice weekend. My, my kid turned seven over the weekend, my little girl. And, uh, we used the lack of tourists on the Island because of the virus <laughs> took advantage of that and got some local rates at one of the, the resorts here on the Island and resorted it up for the weekend. It was a good time. We had, I had five little girls on my hands in one hotel room this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that sounds that might be my nightmare as a someday if I'm ever a father. I mean, I grew up in a house of, with two brothers and just everything about me screams man. I mean, I consider it a good day when I don't have to put pants on. That's a successful day and I feel like you can't do I that. I was so Yeah, I was so tired on Sunday, <laughs> Sunday evening. <laughs> yeah, I can't it was a good time. Well, I, yeah, no, I'm glad to hear, and I know our Cracked Rackets fans are appreciative of you still taking the time to recap all of the action. I also love, if you're not, uh, you know, a main, I mean, I guess you're not considered a mainlander, but you're not considered a tourist. Is there an in-between term for you? Uh, well, um, there is a term out here on the islands for a white, uh, let's call it, not foreigner, but uh, visitor um the the locals here call white people not originally from the islands <laughs> so i don't i don't know that i've been called that too often i don't know um you know if it gets used a whole lot but i think if you go into areas in, on the islands that are what you might consider old hawaii uh you know you you're running running some danger of of being called a time or two it's well, okay, I just though. know it's it's their I island. Say... It's their island, and I'm 
you know, I'm just enjoying the beauty of it. No, for the most part, 99% of the people here are beautifully kind. Yeah, that that beats other parts of the world. That beats the mainland. I can tell you that for sure. And now I know I can add local to our your introductions moving forward. I'll throw that in the rotation as <laughs> well. Be our correspondent. I'm not sure if it's derogatory. Oh, okay. Well, it is derogatory. I know, but uh... yeah, no. Then we'll have Westoff quack it out. Uh, we can have him again go back and quack all of those terms. But anyways, uh, the reason we wanted to have you on the podcast, as I mentioned, is because again, there's it feels like we are in full steam off-season mode and in reality we are there are no more challenger events no more 125 k's although there wasn't 100 k so i suppose we're not far off this past week that we'll talk about in a moment but you know all we really have left is a few itf matches and what we've learned given the fact that there was a five and a half month dearth you know in the calendar that normally exists a lot of players out there not afraid to go chase points in december i think we had 10 total itf events last week five on the men's side five on the women's side uh play continues on and let's start with the women's side let's start uh with that 100k event i believe and i mean look anytime you can get top 100 players in the world playing in Jan- uh in december you know something funky must be going on we had multiple top 100 players playing in dubai last week judson tell our listeners a little bit about what was going on yeah so you kind of hit the nail on the head uh Due to the lack of tournaments because of the virus, specifically on the women's side, uh, you know, there hasn't been a tournament since maybe two tournaments since Roland Garros or something like that. Uh, You know, Dubai, it's a hundred thousand dollar ITF, which, you know, is not WTA tour level, but it's still an upper level ITF. And it would be the equivalent of maybe a Challenger 100 or a Challenger 125. Uh, for listeners that follow challengers a little bit closer, but uh, it, it had a great field and it was all live streamed or most matches were live streamed over the weekend. Uh, and it was easily the, the top dog of professional tennis tournaments in the world on either side. As you said, there were 10 professional tournaments in the world this, uh, this previous week, all 10 were ITFs. Nine of those 10 were lower-level ITFs, so $15,000 events, $25,000 events. In fact, nine of them were all $15,000 events, the very lowest rung of professional tennis. That rung that you and I, you or I could potentially sign up as alternates and get into the qualifiers for. <laughs> you know, uh, the, the introduction to professional tennis, so that was the only thing on this weekend besides the $100,000 event in Dubai which, as you mentioned, had, had an excellent field. That uh, Cerste, I'm not sure exactly how she says her name. Cerste. Um, Serana Cerste. Okay, Cerste. From Romania, she she took the title over Siniakova. Um, and I watched a little bit of that final. Uh, you know, it's a beautiful setup they had there in Dubai. And, you know, I... I live in a place with nice weather as well, but I still enjoy watching tournaments that are in nice locales. It just makes you feel good. <laughs> and uh, But there were, I think, like 15 top 100 players playing this week in Dubai. So it was a stacked field, including a couple top 50 players. 
Yeah. I mean, you look at the draw. Uh, we had a first-round matchup between Kuzmova and Herzog. Those are both top 100 players. Those are two players first round, again, of a 100K event. You had Timia Babos versus Shi Wang, uh, Anaconia versus Aransa Rus. Uh, all of these fun matches. You know, Blinkova versus Kirstea. That's a really fun first-round matchup. Cochioretto versus Paulini. I could go on and on and on. The point being, yeah, it's it was absolutely a stacked draw, and we saw upsets happen uh, throughout the draw now. First, uh, you know, the number one seed, Kiki Medenovic, she won her first round match against Magdalena Freak. Uh, and by the way, again, that is not a shabby first round match, but Medenovic then uh, withdraws from the tournament in the second round. Of course, uh, the number two seeded Herzog, I believe, knocked out, I want to say, in the semifinals by Kirstea, and then Kirstea knocking off Sinyakova in that final as well. Uh, that match ended up going three sets, a bunch of three set battles, I believe, both semi finals and finals were three set matches and again you watch that final uh, I thought Sinyakova looked really good all week long but Kirstea just I mean she scrapped and clawed there's something about those Dubai conditions really did seem to suit her game well yeah yeah the the conditions in the desert there usually get uh, a lively ball in desert conditions similar to Indian Wells you know really jump off the court flies through the air a little quicker with the the dry air, uh, you know, there's not a lot of humidity in the air, and it really helps the ball move, and I agree. Uh, I think it did help her, and yeah, it was a great weekend there. As you say, all three matches over the weekend, the semifinals and the final, but three good matches, three three-set matches. All three went to, you know, the end of the third set as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, if I asked you, how old do you think Katarina Sinyakova is? Uh, I would say 24. That's a very good know. guess. That's exactly how old she is. I just feel like that's another player who was top a career high, I want to say, right around 30, 31. I think she's currently hovering at, like, number 59 in the world. I really like her game. Like, I, I like the I weapon she has. I think she's someone who absolutely can take another jump forward back towards that top 30. But what this event was such a reminder of is the depth right now in women's tennis. In particular, I mean— do I think the the women in the top 10, I think Barty, Osaka, Halep has to be in that conversation, and Kennan probably belongs in that conversation as well. Those four are, when they play their best tennis, more likely than not, they're winning matches. But legitimately, players 5 through, I don't know, 50, 55, 60, the parity between them, the margins are so thin. I just, I expect more of the same in 2021 as we saw in 2020. I just, you know, if an unseated player pulls another Iga Sviantek and wins a slam, would that shock you in 2022? Oh, absolutely not. Or 2021, excuse um, me. Yeah. In 2021. No, not at all. Uh, as you say, the, the depth is there. The depth is better, you know, in my opinion, than it's ever been. Uh, and I've, you know, I've watched... A lot of history uh, on both the men's and women's sides. I've watched hundreds of old classic matches from, you know, the Billie Jean King, Margaret Court days through Everett, Navratilova, and Celis Graf. And, you know, in my opinion, it's the top isn't as strong as it's ever been uh, by any means, I don't think. But the, the depth in the women's game is stronger than it's ever been. And I know I'll get some people that disagree with me on that, but the level of athleticism that was on display in Dubai 
for a field that, you know, essentially was 50 in the world to 200 or so in the world, 200 in the world, uh, you know, is just off the charts from what it used to be, uh, you know, in the 80s and really even in the 90s. The 90s, the, the athleticism in the women's game, the depth in the women's game started really climbing. But I think it's hit that peak, you know, where even when the, t- the very top of the women's game is not as strong as it could be, the quality is still there in these in these WTA draws because the the depth is there. See, I will be one of those people who disagree with you, not on your second point. I agree with everything you said about the depth. I agree entirely with that. I agree. I think when you look at the top fold, you don't have the champion. Uh, you know, the Serena Williams era, what, 15 years, 20 years, however long you want to call her reign at the top of the women's game, it spoiled all of us because you go into every tournament thinking, okay, who's going to compete with Serena for the title? And because of that, the threshold we expect from the champion at the top of the game, we expect them to be Serena Williams. Well, uh, it's not a reality check to any tennis fan to say, you know, Serena Williams are once in a blue moon. If there was a new greatest of all time in each and every generation, that kind of defeats the purpose of the argument, right? How if the best player in history is just going to get keep getting better and better, why are we even looking at these past career statistics? And of course, there's also the argument, you know, is a player in 1980, is a guy like John McEnroe, you throw him that skill set, just a guy who grew up in the 70s in today's game, of course he wouldn't compete. That's where things get sticky. But I do think the potential for a great champion to emerge, I don't think there's any reason why, you know, you see a Naomi Osaka, you see an Ashley Barty, who, by the way, we didn't see you know, really play at all outside of Australia during the 2020 season or Bianca Andreescu when she gets healthy. Obviously, Sabalenka, the way she ended the season, she'll be someone everyone has circled to make a big jump once play resumes in 2021. I think the top of the women's game might be more exciting than ever before simply because there are about six, seven young players who all could with the way their early parts of their career have broken out, compete to win, you know, not just two, not just three, but upwards of, you know, five to ten grand slams. And I think that makes the top of the women's game more exciting than ever. And I, and I don't think the quality and I don't think the quality has been sacrificed just to you know uh, despite their not being a top dog I don't think that's meant the players who you know I, Iga Swiatek dominated the French Open because she was that much better than everyone else not because there wasn't a top dog in the field. Absolutely, um, you know I guess where I'm the, the point more I was trying to make is the established you know all time greats of the game. Uh, they're they're getting old, or you have the Osakas, the Shvantecs, you know, of the world. The um, I don't know, I can't think of another example, but you know, they haven't quite come of age yet. I think Osaka is probably there, you know, but she's not. Uh, yeah, she's not a she's not a seven eight time Grand Slam champion yet. She could be in the future. So I guess that's sort of what I was was getting at, but. To, to your point about, uh, you know, there's no greatest of all time in every generation, but if you go back through history and, you know, pay attention to the all-time greats, there generally is an all-time great in every generation. Maybe, perhaps not a, a goat, a greatest of all time, but there is an all-time great on on each side. I mean, almost without fail, there is almost always an all-time great playing the game. 
on the on the women's side, you know, you go straight from Margaret Court to Billie Jean King. From Billie Jean King, before she retired, she played Chrissy Everett uh, in a few slams, you know, deep in a few slams. Chrissy Everett, of course, had a great rivalry with Martina Navratilova. Both Everett and Navratilova played with Steffi Graf, a young Steffi Graf, even a, uh, you know, 20-year-old Steffi Graf. And, uh, you know, Steffi played into the Venus days, and and I, I, I can't recall. I don't think Steffi and Serena ever played, did they? Uh, I don't think so, but maybe. maybe. Yeah. yeah, that's a good but, question. But they were right there, you know. And <laughs> and now we we have Serena uh, and Venus still playing, but they're you know they're walking off into the sunset. So the time is now. History tells us that one or more all time greats are playing right now. And you know, for me, I do think to your point a couple minutes ago that all time great could very well be you know Naomi Osaka. I don't know that she'll be a greatest of all time contender, but she'll, she'll be in that all time great sort of, uh, you know, seven to 10 slam potential range. Mm -hmm. I don't know if she'll get that high or not, who knows, but you know, she'll be a name that's remembered on the men's side. Some of those all time greats that are not greatest of all times are, are McEnroe's, you know, the McEnroe's of the world, the Jimmy Connors, the Andre Agassi's, you know, nobody is arguing that they are all that they are, greatest of all time that they're the best male tennis players that ever played but they are on that short list top 10 15 20 players that ever played and uh there's always one of them and the same thing goes on the men's side on the men's side you know you, you go from laver and rosewall to straight into connors to board to McEnroe to lindell to sampras and agassi into the into federer and, and now the big three. Well, now the big three are getting older. Who history tells us that the next all-time great or group of all-time greats is playing right at this very moment? And I think you see that with those three or four you know, young next-gen guys, not next-gen anymore. Now Jen's according to you, Gruskin. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the Tsitsipas, the Zverevs, the Medvedevs, and, uh, you know, maybe the FAAs. Those are those are your next all time greats, and they're playing right now. The women yeah. are seeing that, you know, come to fruition a little sooner. So, in that sense, it is it is exciting. So, again, to to push back a little bit, and I appreciate the arc there, and we are officially off the rails here on this mini break, which is exactly where we want to be. So that's a good thing. Um, There's not no, I, talk about. <laughs> hey, don't minimize the ITF circuit. Go read the weekly review preview, by the way, to hear more about that. But while we're on this tangent, look, uh, this is something I have talked about before. By the way, always appreciate someone plugging my own work. Yes, go check why the case I made for why the next gen ATP needs to be considered the now gen moving forward. Why the lost generation, the Dimitrov's, Rayonichko fans of the world, it's pretty clear their window has passed and that these next guys are ready to compete for slam titles right alongside there with them. The way I push back on the women's side is that I do think we have someone in the McEnroe Agassi tier equivalent in the women's game. And no, she doesn't have maybe the Grand Slam pop to match that, but she does have three Grand Slam titles, I believe. And that's Simona Halep. Is it three Grand Slam titles? Is it two Grand Slam titles? At this point, I can't even keep track. I think uh, she's won three. 
I, I think it's three as well. Look, Simona Halep at 29 years old this season, and it sucks because we didn't get to see her at the U.S. Open for the hardcourt swing, but she went 23-3. and three. You know, her three losses were Muguruza semifinals of the Australian Open, 6-5. and five. She got blitzed by Sviantek, but so did everyone else. Uh, so, you know, there's no shame in that. And then she lost her first week of the year in Adelaide to uh, Arena Sabalenka, which I think we can all agree that's not a bad loss by any stretch of the imagination. Simona Halep is in her prime right now. And, you know, I've had this argument of late. I've had this discussion was Maria Sharapova probably better better at her absolute peak than Simona Halep? Yes, probably. But I think outside of Serena Williams, the best player over the past five years in women's tennis has pretty unequivocally been Simona Halep. And I think the rankings reflect that. By the way, two Grand Slam titles for her, not three. It's She's won the French really? and Wimbledon. That's what I was trying to think. I was like, there was no hardcore title, right? No, there was not. She made a final 2018 Australian Open against Wozniacki, one of my favorite matches uh, probably of the past 10 years. But no, it's two Grand Slam titles for Simona Halep. But... I mean, she she currently is in her prime. I don't think there's any denying that. I think Petra Kvitova, while not quite at her prime, is not far off of it. And then, of course, you still have pesky competitors like a Karolina Pliskova, who's not an all-timer, but very, very good. We saw the Vika Azarenka resurgence. We know Garbine Muguruza, multiple-time Grand Slam champion. We saw what she did in Australia. She certainly is right there as well. There are just so many really good players right now. And yeah, I, I, the one I haven't mentioned, by the way, who people might be screaming at their, you know, however you listen to your podcast, screaming at your headphones, your car audio, wherever you are. And by the way, hello, everyone. Uh, yeah, no, I, I mentioned Andreas. Nope. Serena Williams, right? It's like we still uh, have Serena Williams in the women's game. And in 2018, 2019, she made four finals, you know, Wimbledon, U.S. Open back to back. And so, um, like, it's just... I think the top of the women's game is in a very healthy place. I, I loved the way the French Open broke open, the, the chaos it ensued. You know, were Trevisi and Podoroska, uh, were they your traditional quarterfinalists, semifinalists? No, not by any means. But is anyone going to be disappointed? Like, looking back, when you look at the 2020 season and we see that it was Sviantek versus Kennan, is anyone going to be like, oh, but there's an asterisk next to that slam? No, absolutely not. And so I just... I think the top of the women's game is a very, very exciting place to be right now. Yeah, I would agree. And, you know, they're, uh, like, it, like, like we're, we were just discussing, it's also deep and it's athletic. Yeah. That's the main, I didn't, Elisa Mertens, she leads the WTA tour and wins. She was phenomenal this season because of the way the ranking system currently is. I think Mertens is cer- currently sitting at number 20 in the world. Like, Elisa Mertens, under any normal circumstance, would be a top 10 player right now. She's sitting at 20 in the world. That's crazy. Yeah. I remember when I was a, a young tennis fan, uh, you know, maybe around 2010 or so. And I was watching. I one think of the, one to of the qualify as a young tennis fan, you probably have to go back to 2000, but go on. <laughs> well, you know, for me, I was just getting into tennis. I, I first started watching tennis. I worked in a golf shop uh, mm-hmm. in college. And, you know, I had Wimbledon on in 2008 and saw the the, the match, you know. And uh, that's it's cliche, but that's the match that got me into tennis. Uh, but anyway, so I'm, I'd only been watching tennis for a couple of years, sometime around 2010, 2011. And I remember just randomly, this is a random observation, but, um, I was watching a match and Brad Gilbert was calling it and he mentioned Marin Cilic, you know, before he won his, his slam, 
And I think Chilich was ranked maybe about 15 in the world or something. And it was obvious that he had major talent. He was still young. He didn't have all the little ticks that he has now. You know, uh, he he looked like he was going to be better than he ended up being, which he had a, he's had a great career. But anyway, uh, I remember Brad Gilbert making the, the comment that you look at the men's game and a guy like Marin Chilich, Chili Man, is, you know, 15th, 15th in the world. And you know, I just I just see that and I'm, I think, wow, how deep is this men's game right now? You know, and for me, that's kind of where the women's game is, you know, maybe six or seven years behind on that on that quality of depth. But they are rapidly catching it. I mean, I, like I said, I watched I've watched almost all the important matches of the 80s on both tours. And in the 80s, the divide was was great the the men's game was so much more athletic than the the women's game and that's not meant to you know be antagonistic or anything that's just my perception of it uh, they were they were different games well they are coming together closer and closer than ever before now and the women are so athletic now and you know it's just there it's fun to watch I, I, I don't think it's antagonistic to say the degree of athleticism has exponentially increased in both the men's and women's game. Yeah, just it it has to be a physical game now. You can't just get away with plus one forehands and just overwhelming power. I do think, though, you know, I think the plus one game of the WTA Tour, it's very reminiscent to 2005 to 2012 tennis right now. You see players like a Sabalenka or a, obviously Serena through her prime or a Naomi Osaka, what they're able to do with the serve plus one, the overwhelming power they're able to produce with the serve, with the forehand. It's very reminiscent of players like Erotic, right? Or, you know, Amoya or just these players who could, Fernando Gonzalez, just rip play plus one tennis. Obviously, Roger Federer built a career around his the most beautiful plus one forehand in tennis history. Um, yeah, I, I completely agree with your assessment. Um, and again, I, I think it, it all leads us to say that these next five, ten years of WTA tennis should be so exciting because there are so many young talents. And I suppose I'll use this as an opportunity to steer us back on track. We talked about the result at the 100K in the end. It was Serana Kirstea earning the title. She was not the only title winner, though. Uh, tell our listeners about some of the other women's ITF action on the week. Yeah, so as I stated a little bit ago, the both the men's and women's professional tennis scene were filled with $15,000 ITFs, the lowest level ITFs, other than that $100,000 event. So on the women's side, there was the, the Dubai tournament, but then there were four other $15,000 events, uh, two on clay, two on, no, three on clay and one on hard court. Uh, and some of the results there, um, Carolina Alves from Brazil, and she's the the sister of Felipe Melagini Alves, who won a challenger title a couple couple weeks ago. She won a title in Cairo this weekend, and that she's actually she actually won it's her second title in three weeks, I believe, and she's made three finals in a row. So she's on the come up, uh, sort of matching her brother in that regard. She is up in the top 400 in the world now, I believe. And, you know, her brother just cracked the top 300, so kind of cool to see siblings rise through the rankings like that, especially siblings from South America. You know, the more up-and-coming South Americans we can get, the better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, there were uh, there was a qualifier that – a qualifying teenager from Switzerland that won in Monastir, a 19-year-old. Um, 
Lulu Son. And in, uh, let's see, what else? In Madrid, they the women there played in the same facility that the, the men on the ITF tour did last week. It's an indoor facility in, in Madrid. And uh, there was a another Swiss that won, Connie Perrin. She's about 250 in the world after that win. Um, there was also a fifth tournament in Antalya. They didn't end up finishing the Antalya draw on either the men's or the women's side because of torrential downpours in Antalya. So those tournaments each got to the final, but they weren't able to finish the final. Funny enough, though, that uh, they're, they're playing another slate of ITFs this week in Antalya, but they're having rain issues again, so they're a few days behind. Um, but that's 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 all the action on the women's side. The only other result, I think, to, to mention, and I did in my article, is not on the professional ranks, but in the junior ranks. The so-called you know junior fifth slam, the Orange Bowl, took place last week. And uh, Ashlyn Kruger took that, 16-year-old American. I believe she's 16. 16-year-old American took that. And... Uh, yeah, so that's the that's the women's slate. Yeah, no, I'm, I would just add to that quickly. Again, you see so many of these players. I think you mentioned uh, one player, 24 years old, another one, I want to say 19 years old. I mean, it's week in, week out. You see these young players emerging at the ITF level. You see it at the 125K level. You see it, you know, at Challengers, ATP, WTA events. It's happening across the board here now. Uh, and, of course, as you mentioned, in terms of your Orange Bowl results for Ashlyn Kruger, uh, worth noting, we are going to have, in my opinion, and the queen of covering junior tennis, the best in the business, Colette Lewis, joining the podcast later this week to talk about that Orange Bowl title. It does feel worth noting, Kruger, 16 years old, same age group as Coco Goff. Now, of course, Coco Goff having pro success already, you probably trade back-to-back Orange Bowls titles for a fourth-round appearance at Wimbledon, but Kruger, I think the first woman to win 16s and 18s back-to-back since Bianca Andreescu did it, and obviously uh, that's some pretty nice company to join for her, so fantastic fantastic result for her on the women's side. Let's switch gears now. Look at the men, though. Again, five results to talk about. Run us through the slate, Judson. Who were the most impressive performers on the week? Well, let me just say that uh, Colette Lewis is is as good as you can get for the, the junior goat. game. I agree, and I'll, I'll I'll let her handle the junior or the Orange Bowl. Then, uh, just to mention <laughs> that uh, it was a it was a young Frenchman, Arthur Phils. I think he's also maybe sixteen. That won um, the junior, the junior Orange Bowl. But on the professional side of things, what we're here to talk about, there were five men's ITFs. You know, in a typical week on the, in, in, in the typical week in the typical year without a global pandemic running amok, there are generally anywhere from eight to maybe 14, 15 ITFs going on, plus two, three, four challengers. And, you know, maybe three ATP events going on. Uh, so there's just a ton of tennis. Well, right now there's five ITFs on the men's side going on. And, you know, so that just tells you the lack of playing opportunities at this point. And that's due to the pandemic, but also the end of the season where there's always a few less ITFs. But uh, as, you know, as for the action that we had, again, Antalya, they didn't finish up on the men's or women's side, the the final was never played. It was a a, a Swede 
Medeiros versus Fadich there, a uh, Bosnia and Herzegovinian. Uh, but on the uh, as for the winners, the one that really sticks out to me, they had a hard court tournament, the rare hard court tournament in Spain, in the Pyrenees Mountains there of, of Torreo, uh, which is north of, of Barcelona. And uh, young Frenchman, number four junior in the world, I believe, Arthur Kazaa. He won his first professional title there in Torreo. And I've seen a little bit of him on the Challenger Tour since the restart, and I am impressed. I like his game a lot. Uh, there was no live stream this week in Toreo, but it was. Uh, but looking at the results, it was a, a great performance. He won his semifinal, oh, and love and one, uh, and then he won the final, six two in the third. He beat probably the other top young player in the draw, Luca Nardi from Italy in the quarterfinals and beat him in straight sets. So there's a really good showing from him. That's the one result that I would point out that I would circle from this week on the ITFs on the men's side. Uh, but there were other tournaments to, to discuss. There were, uh, I, I was going to say, yeah, I want to get to those. I want to get to those in a second quickly. Um, on your little 606 love, 60 nomenclature issue there, I once said on a stream that this guy, I don't remember what the match was, but I was like, yeah, six love, for, or I said a 60 first set for whomever. And I got a text from, I'll just call him out from Mike Cation being like, you mean six love? And I was like, no, I think I meant six O. <laughs> and he's like, no, you meant six love. And I was like, ah, I'm going to stick with six O. And I mean, it's a debate we always have. I like to go back and forth. He's such a purist when it comes to that stuff. People call it six O. It's like, yeah, I, I beat him six O. It's not, you know, no one yeah. says six zero. Like that's probably, I've never heard like, yeah, it was a six zero first set, but it's, it's either six O or six love. Like I have no problem yeah, with either. I would agree. Uh, you know, I think love is for, in the stiffs, game, the, the bald the people, love the thirty love. It's, it's the for the end no. game score. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying um, to get him. But uh, the uh, you know you don't you don't say love in a tiebreak. You don't you say one one to zero. I think or I, I think the the chair umpires say one zero, not one love. You know four zero or three yeah, zero. I mean. You know, hey, in, in if, if I'm down three, I don't care what you call it. I'm giving you the middle finger, finger no matter what. So call it whatever you want. <laughs> but we digress. Yeah. Um, yes. Anyways, but no, yes, run me through some of the rest of the results. Yeah, so another interesting result was in Cairo, The another of those weekly ITFs that they have almost on a weekly basis. It was on clay. And a young American, Toby Kodat, one of the top junior Americans, he's 17, He's been playing more and more professional ball, less and less uh, junior ball, and I'm. Yeah, I wonder how much we'll see him on the junior tour next year. I think he's he's gonna. We'll, we'll see him on the ITFs, the professional ITF tour, quite a bit next year. But he made his first professional final there in Cairo. He did lose to Juan Batista Torres from Argentina, who was also in his first professional title or final, I should say. And so he won his first professional title. He is also a junior, one of the top-ranked juniors. I, th- I believe he's the top-ranked South American junior right now. And in the top, I think he's 13th in the junior rankings. So Torres won his first professional title. That is about as young of a 
professional final as you'll ever see an 18 year old versus a 17 year old. And that's what the futures tour, the ITF tour is all about. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, a couple other results to get through in Monastir. You had a, an Estonian win, 22 year old Kristen Tom won in Monastir. And then in Santa Domingo last week, they were having the second of a two week run there in Santa Domingo at the national tennis center in, in the Dominican last week, Oliver Crawford, the recently former, form, former Florida standout won the title this week he made the final and he played the hometown guy nick hart nick hart played college ball did he not i believe so I believe he did I believe he did i can't recall where he played but i think he was a college player and this santa domingo field was just filled with former and current collegiate players you know and i think we touched on this last week but there's no there are hardly any professional tournaments in north america or right now or there haven't been since the restart just a handful and so you see a lot of those guys coming to this this itf in santa domingo so it was nick hart the local guy he won his third professional title he's ranked in the 500s you know uh but he won he beat oliver crawford in the final nick chapel made the semis roy smith former baylor product made the semis but that's the slate, and that's all the professional tennis that was on it last week. Uh, five tournaments on the men's side, five on the women. That was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, actually, on second thought, I don't know if Nick Hart played te- college tennis. He might have. I'll have to get to our. I'll get our stats I guy think on he it. Florida product. Um, I'm not sure. I'll have to do some research. I don't think so. I don't think he did. Uh, I know Oliver Crawford did, and yeah, we talked about him last week for Crawford, who, you know, certainly you could have made the case unfinished business at Florida. We talked about it on our college contender series for him to make the decision to go pro. was definitely surprising to a lot of us at the same time for him now to get his ranking up into the top, you know, 650. I believe he's up to number 613 now. Another good result next week. He can get near his career high of number 529 if he can work his way into the top 500 into the top 400 hopefully by the end parts of early next season uh then you're starting to you know under normal circumstances get into challenger quality play challenger ball then you made a good decision if you could be top 400 within your first year of pro events it means you got through the futures circuit quickly it means you're ready to take that next jump and of course whether oliver crawford has the game to advance past the challengers into the 250s into the 500 that remains to be seen but certainly he's passing the first step of the equation right it's much like nuno borges did it uh you know all of these guys you go from if you're one of the best players in college you got to go play the futures but a lot of them rip off these six-week stretches at the futures and it's just like oh yeah that's exactly it did meet the eye test that we saw in college yeah i agree uh, and i think we've had this discussion maybe off air but the top college guys in my opinion they're usually about challenger level in in, in their play uh perhaps even upper challenger level if you if you get some of those very top elite college prospects a lot of the you know sort of ranked 10 to 50 or 10 to 100 in the college game there, there may be your lower level challenger type product products you know that's their level probably going to start out playing futures but yeah a lot of these guys they 
they played college, they might have only played one or two, a handful of professional events while they've been in college. So they don't have the ranking unless they get a wild card to get into most of the challengers. So although they have, many of them have a challenger level of play, they got to go through their futures. They got to prove it. And uh, yeah, that's, I, I agree. That's kind of what, what we're seeing there with Crawford. It's, it's a very nice end to his, to his season and a great jumping off point for him in, his, in what will be his first full-time professional season in, yeah. you know, on the, on the world tour. Yeah, look at the rankings right now. J.J. Wolf, Blas Rolla, uh, you know, Arthur Rindernack, Emilio Gomez, uh, Max Cressy, uh, obviously, uh, you know, all of the Virginia guys, Kwiatkowski, Mackie McDonald, where he came in from college tennis. I mean, yeah, if you are one of the top Torpegard as well, the list goes on and on and on. If you are one of those top guys, you usually, uh, that success translates through the future circuit to the challengers level at a minimum. And uh, yeah, I think Oliver Crawford is well on his way to playing uh, predominantly a challenger-filled schedule. Of course, as you mentioned, so many other fun winners on the weekend. We still have some ITF action set up for this week, right? Still a couple of events left to go here. This 2020 season, you know, after wondering if it was ever going to continue, now it never seems like it's going to end? It actually will not end, I don't believe. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> and usually it doesn't. Some Some years there's one week right there at the very end of the year where you might not have any ITFs, but usually there's at least an ITF or two every week of the season. So tennis truly never sleeps. But uh, and this week, so for the the rest of the year, this week there are uh, there are five, two on the men's side, three on the women's side ITFs. Next week there are four, two men's, two women's, and then the week following, I know there's at least one men's ITF, and 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 then after that, it's Delray Beach time, right? So. So tennis won't stop this year either. Uh, although we've, you know, we've it's been disrupted plenty. It did stop, of course, over the over the pandemic. But uh, things go on, and uh, yeah. So this week we have three, or I should say, five professional tennis tournaments in the entire world being played. Three of them on the women's side, two on the men's side. The three on the women's side are Antalya and Monastir, those two weekly tournaments that are week in, week out. Uh, and, and those are the two on the men's side. So those are uh, those are shared events. And so those are four of the five. And then the fifth professional tournament is a, a an indoor hard court tournament in the Italian Alps, the the South Tyrol region where where uh, Yannick Center's from. Uh, I can't really remember the name of it even. Sel- Selva Gardena. Selva Gardena. <laughs> Sure, and uh, that's a that's a twenty five thousand dollar event, and so that is the highest level event, professional tennis event in the world this week that that will offer points anyway. Uh, there's one you know the Mubadala exhibition in Abu Dhabi that's a high profile exhibition that all, often gets you know the biggest names, the Rafa Nadal's and the Serena's and 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 all those. It was scheduled for this week, but I can't find anything on it, and so I'm I'm assuming that it's not happening. Yeah, I, I think it, it is yet, not yet clear uh, whether they're going to be able to hold it or not. Certainly, uh, I'm sure they will try to hold it, but yeah, I, I think it's unclear. As of right now, I think it's a no-go. Yeah. So yeah, mm-hmm. those those five tournaments 
in three locations, you know, Antalya, Monastir, and Selva Gardenia. That makes up the entirety of professional tennis this week, so we are truly in the heart of the offseason, my friend. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, to do a little crossover content here to look back last week, as you mentioned, guys like Hattie Habib, the current Texas A&M player, guys like Keegan Smith, who's currently at UCLA, Zeke Clark, who's in year six, I believe, at Illinois. Uh, you obviously have a guy like, uh, uh, I believe there's one more college tennis player who I saw who played last week. Oh, a former guy like Paul Jubb, who made the quarterfinals. Uh, uh, I believe he was in Turkey last week as well. A lot of these guys playing IT matches because some of them not allowed to travel back to their schools if they are from a non-U.S. based country. They traveled there after the season was canceled. They haven't been allowed to come back yet, of course. You know, I, oh, Lucas Poulain was the other guy from France, the former Florida State player. Uh, he was another quarter finalist as well. And yeah, Shintaru Machizuki, another fun young player. Certainly there are fun matches going on across the globe, but yes, it is off-season time. And in that theme, Christmas is the 25th, right? 25th of December? Every year. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Well, I always get to say this. You've won in case, I suppose, I don't know why you would know. I'm sure our listeners are well aware of this. Having been raised Jewish Christmas, not exactly the biggest household thing in my house. Uh, you know, Fair I'm enough. always Fair like, enough. yeah, I'm always like, it's. I always know it's right around 24th, 25th, 26th range. Uh, but okay, 25th, yes. I can stick that in my brain. Well, then next week, let's lock into, let's break down the Challengers uh, Tour in 2020. I want to hear your takeaways from the media guide. I know that's something you and I have talked about a bit on, Mike, because as you mentioned, is the heart of the offseason and you know I feel like two weeks from now we might actually have our first events either qualifying starting or whatever it may be getting underway so next week we're going to focus on the challengers but yeah it really is the home stretch of 2020 still going to be a few ITF events to take us down that home stretch but of course, if you have missed any of the action, if you don't, uh, if you want to see what is going on this week, be sure to go check out Judson's article on our website, CrackedRackets.com. And again, it's your weekly review preview. And with that in mind, Judson, any other fun stuff? I know you've got some cool things in the queue for our Cracked Rackets fans. Yeah. So just real quickly on the uh, on the weekly articles. Now, I do think they're a little helpful. We, we talk about all these different tournaments. It's hard to visualize them, though. And in those weekly review preview articles, I put in maps of where each tour is going to be uh, all week, and, and this week and, and next week. Uh, I try to include as many photos as I can because a lot of these players that we're talking about, most people have never seen play. So it's nice to put a, a face to the name. Uh, and and it goes through all the results of the week in worldwide professional tennis on both tours. So it's something to check out. So check it out. Uh, yeah. But uh, as as for things I'm working on, I'm still working on that maps piece that will will aggregate all the maps that I make throughout the season and put them all onto one map. And then I I, I go through those and analyze. Uh, various aspects of of the the tennis tours and and where they're at throughout the year. You know, I'll look at Africa. Why are there only two tournaments in Africa all year long, or or whatever it is? You know, look at Europe and and compare it to how many clay court tournaments there are. You know, in the rest of the world combined, or along those lines. So that could be a piece. I'm hoping to get that out soon. That we could also discuss when we when we discuss the Challenger Tour. Uh, and then finally, 
we're gonna I'm, I've been working on a a piece that dives into the top young Americans the next gens and the and the generation just after that you know the 23 24 year olds and sort of do a power ranking and go through and uh, see where those guys are at how they've developed what what we expect of them in the future and uh, you know hopefully that becomes something that we can keep working on keep updating and maybe on a monthly basis give the readers give the cracked racket readers and listeners an update on where are our top u.s guys how are they doing so that's kind of what i'm working on yeah i mean we have talked about it a little bit up uh off mic but i know that is content uh, all of our listeners are going to enjoy and again they can read all of your work on the website crackedrackets.com of course they can follow you at twitter at tennis in uh before we wrap today's pod i will also say a huge shout out as always to our super producers max fligner and daniel westoff for the of an editing job they do day in day out a huge shout out to our friends at midwest sports and aerobar go to midwestsports.com use that promo code cr15 to find all of the best equipment out there in the tennis industry also be sure to go check out our friends at aerobar if you want to switch to the only tennis specific energy bar in the business get that extra two three four five percent out of your game on court it really does make a difference go to aerobar.com use that promo code cracked 30 to support them and of course if you have missed any of our content covering this off-season ATP WTA levels, challenger stuff, next-gen related content, college tennis content, all of it can be found on the website crackedrackets.com. You need those media updates. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. But with that in mind, for my wonderful guests, Judson Wall, our super producers, Max Ligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Judson, what do we tell the people? I had to write it down this time. That's the break. (laughs) I prefer it's break time, but we can leave it at that as well. And we will see you all next time. Thank you, as always, Judson. All right. Thanks for having me, Gretzky.